You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard! We're about to start today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Water Flying Podcast. Today's topic is invasive species in Alaska. We want to know more about what threatens seaplane flying in the state with the most active seaplane population in the country. And as always, I'm joined by Abby Kellett, a flight instructor in seaplanes and my assistant here at the Seaplane Pilots Association. So for today's topic on invasive species in Alaska, we're joined by Adam White, Government and Legislative Affairs Director at the Alaska Airmen's Association. Adam, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, it's good to be here. It's good to hear everybody's voices and... uh... Yeah, this is a, a hard topic for us to deal with, but uh, very important one, you bet. Yeah, so uh, we speak, uh, previously spoke to Quagga D on this podcast to talk about the overall impacts of invasive species on waterways and how their spread threatens the health of the environment that we enjoy as seaplane pilots. And But Adam, you and I have been working on a topic that I don't think anyone in Alaska thought we would ever have to face with, which was invasive species and you know, even water closing in Alaska. So on this episode, I'd like to get dive into how invasive species are affecting waterways and seaplane access in Alaska, uh, because um, I don't think anyone would have ever imagined we would have been faced with what we are today. Yeah. Yeah, we, you know, being so isolated and and removed from the the rest of the United States um, and with our climate like it is, we kind of thought we were safe. Uh, we thought that the the temperatures and and the, the long winters would kind of help protect us from some of this stuff, um, but we're realizing that's just not the case at yeah, all. Yeah, so. so it seems like the main threat right now that we're dealing with is plant based uh, in the form of Elodia. Right. Yeah, and you know it it came into the state the same way it, it came into a lot of places in the lower forty eight. It, it came from uh, aquariums and. Uh, it seems that it, it may have changed a little bit to be a little more robust in our colder waters, um, and it's spreading. And it's actually north of the Alaska Range now. And uh, one of the good things is that the state uh, of Alaska has an eradication program. They don't have a management program. And those words are very important, the difference between the two. The state has a goal that if it's ever found, that they are going to eradicate it, not just manage Elodia. Yeah. And so this is really important because eradication means some pretty drastic things going on. And, you know, I think it's, you know, you and I have kind of been privy to some of the back back information that's been going on on this topic in that it really incipiated at, at one location probably and then spread from there. And I think seaplanes got kind of a bad rap for spreading Elodia, but it, uh, it most likely wasn't our fault because it kind of originated right. at an odd source. You want to talk about where the origins of Elodia and Lake Hood was? <laughs> well, yeah, it is kind of weird. Uh, with Lake Hood, uh, if you've ever been to Anchorage, uh, I, you know, Lake Hood is an amazing place. Uh, it's right there, accessible by everyone. 
there's a city park right there on Lake Hood and Lake Spinard where the, the public comes and sits and watches the float planes come and go all day long. It's an incredible place. And uh, access is, is pretty much unrestricted uh, to the public. And so that, that comes with some pretty interesting, <laughs> interesting issues because, you know, you can be taxiing around uh, Lake Hood with your aircraft um, and there's a bicyclist in the way, or you've got somebody that's wading in the, in the edge of the water over by the city park or, you know, I, I've heard stories of folks trying to fish uh, out there and that, that that's usually, usually put down pretty quick um, with airport uh, security and other things that come by. So like, hey, this is not a fishing pond. Um, so with that big of an access of that broad of a, of a base of people that are coming and going, um, you know, you would have thought that, that maybe float planes would have been transferring in. Uh, and then the scare of any kind of, of weed, uh, aquatic weed in, in the water, um, you know, I think actually it was a, a good thing. Um, you know, you always try to look at things and, you know, what's the good and the bad. Uh, there is a weed problem in Lake Hood. Uh, and for a while, uh, it was thought that, that some of that weed that was the major issue was, was Elodia, but come to find out it was not. Um, but I think because of our education efforts between the seaplane pilots and the Alaska Airmen and others, uh, there was enough public awareness in the flying community that, that people were aware that Elodia was an issue. And um, we kind of jumped the gun a little bit uh, with, with some of that, uh, but it did raise uh, the, the attention of the state and then a pretty good research projects to figure out what happened and where it came from and uh, what to do about it. And not just Elodia, but the other weeds there in Lake Hood. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty enlightening to me. I think uh, three years ago or four years ago was the first time uh, that uh, it came onto my radar screen for Alaska because, number one, the lake was getting pretty weeded. Yes. Um, we all we all were dealing with quite a quite a weed issue in the lake, which I think was, you know, management waited too long to address that. And I think we could have been a little bit more aggressive about addressing that faster than it was. Yeah. And I, I think that previous management uh, techniques of, of managing the weeds in Lake Hood may have been causing some of our problems as well, because they, they have this barge that, uh, that has a sickle mower type attachment um, that, that actually just cuts the weeds under the water and then lifts it up on a chain conveyor uh, onto the barge. And some of these weeds, that's how they propagate. They float away. <laughs> they float away. Yeah. And now you, now you've, you've moved it and, and established this weed in another part of the, the, the lake. So it almost would have been better to have them anchored down and, you know, growing on the bottom of the seabed instead of, you know, floating and possibly getting into water rudders or boats and then getting spread right. around. Well, that's the problem yeah. with like a boat. You see a boat go through a weed bed and the propeller's just chopping up the weeds as it right. goes through. And that all that all those are just, you know, going to create a new population somewhere else in the lake. Wow. And, and, and that's exactly what happened Yeah, uh, with some of these other weeds. You bet. And, and so, but it was really pretty, I guess, disheartening to me uh, to get off my flight out of Seattle at the airport there. And the first thing I see coming, you know, into the airport is a big backlit sign saying, you know, invade aquatic invasive species. Seaplanes are the spread. 
Um, really? Yeah. Wow. And I've got yeah. photos of that in my iPad. I literally had to stop and take photos of that because I was like, whoa, what is going on here? It wasn't a seaplanes maybe a threat. It was seaplanes are the are, threat. That's pretty aggressive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's a, and just like every place else, um, you know, we, we've got folks that are incredibly concerned about this issue that are not aviators. Uh, they see aviation as, as a vector for how this these weeds spread and it's very easy to jump on and say you know what you guys are the problems you guys need to quit and I'm like well let's let's actually look and see if we really are the problem first of all um and no doubt um we all know that you know if you don't cycle your water rudder uh, after after liftoff um you're going to be you're going to have hitchhikers you're going to have folks that are piggybacking there on your water rudders and and that that is a problem and so that education issue but um, you know, we found out we're, we're not as bad as, uh, some folks in the public would, would like for us to be the villain. Um, it's just simply not as bad as they've been painting that picture. Sure. I think it's maybe an easy target. I know we talked to D about it in a previous podcast episode. You know, I mean, when you're looking at the ratio of seaplanes versus boats, and I'm sure it's different on Lake Hood just because there's such a good, <laughs> there are no, boats. I mean, there are no, boats. Are no it's boats. just a constant <laughs> right. seaplane operation. But, right. you know, looking at, you know, people dumping their aquariums and introducing invasive species that way. Well, that's kind so. of where I was going with this lead, because it, it seemed like I think the, the prevailing thought was that a, a elementary school or a middle school had dumped their yeah. classroom fish tank into Lake Hood, which is where the the infection started. Yeah. And I, I know that that was the case in Campbell Lake in the Anchorage area. And, and the suspicion is that, that maybe the same thing happened in Lake Hood. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I get it. Invasive species are definitely a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that now that they've spread north of the Alaska range, uh, you know, we would, we would hope that that range would be kind of a natural barrier, definitely a, a different climate. Um, but we have Elodia here north of the Alaska range now. And uh, in some pretty interesting places that that you would think, how would it get into the slough out in the middle of the Tanana Flats um, when, you know, that's not really a normal place people would dump their aquarium because the only way to get there is either seaplane or by a, a pretty long boat ride. Um, but the theory there was that um, it came out of the Fairbanks North Pole area out of a slough there that, that is pretty much uh, certain that it was because of an aquarium that got dumped. But we have seasonal flooding, and uh, while Elodia is really hard to get established in in our river system, it did it transported through the river system. But then during the flood, it washed back up into um, an area where it could get established, and we think that's how it happened in Tochakit Slough. Um, and again, the state is is working on an eradication program uh, with uh, aquasides and then time drips and all kinds of other things that that will eventually uh, eradicate these things um, and the, the other issue that we've been tracking and I know the seaplane pilots have been a great help with this for this is educating uh, educating our users and our and our membership what does a load even look like because I I'm amazed now uh, as long as we've been fighting this issue that some people don't know what a Lodi is to begin with and then couldn't identify it if it was sitting there in their hand, (laughs) but then, Oh yeah, by the way, you can't transport it um, because it is an invasive species. And so we worked with the state and the soil and water conservation folks to, um, 
to be able to take pictures of, of what we think might be Elodia, or then if it's been confirmed to be able to help them by bringing samples back to them, but in a very specified way, so that now uh, in an effort to help, we're not causing the problem to spread. Um, so there is a good partnership, um, but we're not done. We, we still have more work to do. No, not by a long way. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know it's sounding familiar, you know, between Dee and Adam here. So just the education and just you should know what Elodia looks like. You should know the invasive species that are in your area. And I know that the Seaplane Pilots Association offers the Water Landing Directory app to its members, which lists invasive species information. And we encourage you, you know, look at the lakes around you, the lakes that you're operating in on a regular basis and know what you're getting yourself into. We offer that resource to our members and we want you to use it. So kind of going back, um, you know, Elodia, what's the problem with it? You know, invasive species, like what exactly is the ramification of that plant in Alaska? Isn't it something with, with salmon? Like what is it? Oh, well, yeah, it affects uh, what I, one of my favorite uh, dinnertime uh, dishes. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, you know, Alaska obviously is different, but we're, we're not unique. Um, our, our issue with the Lodia is that because in the summertime we have such long hours of daylight that any kind of plant just thrives in this environment. Uh, obviously it has a very difficult time in the winter, but when a Lodia gets established in a waterway, um, we all know what happens in the lower 48. It'll choke it off, but that happens um, on a more uh, exponential scale here in Alaska. And, and it'll choke off a, a salmon stream to the point where the salmon can't then come back up to spawn. Wow. And, you know, it only takes a couple of years of that happening. And now the, the, the salmon are really struggling uh, in some of these, these aquifers and, and, and these, these drainages because um, it's just being choked off. And, and then you look can't. at, right, yeah, and then you look at, you know, that whole ecosystem, what we all learned in elementary school, you know, what is it, the food chain? Yep. So the salmon not yep. moving up river, where are the bears? And so, yep. and then seaplane doing that tourism, you know, if there's anyone doing bear spotting. And so it's full circle here, you know, keeping our waterways clean is just going to help everyone, including seaplane yeah. pilots. Well, when it, Sam, it definitely does have an economic impact. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, huge. I mean, but not, the, you know, the tourism, the fishing, you know, it, it goes everywhere. And so, you know, the natural kind of habitat for salmon and these waterways is to have a rocky base, to have a rocky bottom. And that's where the salmon lay the eggs. Right. And so the problem in, when we get Elodia coming in is the Elodia actually covers up all the rocks with plant oh, life. Wow. And so there's no place for the salmon to lay their eggs. There's no p- place for them to actually deposit them. So uh, it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. Yeah, you bet. So we've had a great partnership with uh, especially Aaron Martin and and the crew at uh, Fish and Wildlife Service in helping providing us the updates and the data to include in the Water Landing Directory app where we can list the waterways that are either, you know, under suspicion or threat or that have uh, special procedures and or are closed. And we're seeing some pretty drastic uh, measures in these waterways. I mean, they're literally either what I call burning the lake uh, or draining the lake in some cases. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I said, the, the state of Alaska definitely has the eradication uh, mindset when it comes to this. And sometimes that means you have to be drastic <laughs> to be able to do that. Uh, I, I don't know of any instances here in Alaska where they've talked about actually draining uh, a, a lake to do that. Other than Campbell Lake uh, there in Anchorage, 
Um, but that was more for maintenance on the, the dam and the weir than it was to, to, to eradicate the weed. But it was a, uh, it was a nice unintended consequence to be able to have that water level taken down so low to the point that it, it made it easier to, to help mitigate some of these things that have happened because of invasive species. Yeah, Campbell was the one I was referring to. I, I know there were other processes at play there with why they were draining the lake, but I know that they were looking that, at that as an opportunity you bet. Uh, to achieve the kill. So this is a big deal. You know, I, I pride ourselves as seaplane pilots in really being good stewards of the environment. We fly seaplanes because we enjoy our outdoor spaces in the natural environment. And so it's really important for us in the leadership of the aviation community and, and the advocacy organizations to do everything we can to stress how important it is for the seaplane pilots in the aviation community to take ownership of this issue. You know, we've been very successful in leading the way uh, on this and trying to be an active part of the solution, not part of the problem. And so I, you know, as seaplane pilots that are listening to this show, I really want to encourage you to understand that, you know, we have to be part of the the solution. Uh, We can't ignore this. Uh, We have to actively work with the regulators and the waterway managers to come up with ways to manage this issue. Uh, And if we don't, the waterways will be taken away from us. There's not going to be any choice in the matter. So the best thing for us to do is be proactive. Absolutely right. Um, and, and I see Elodia as, as the opportunity for us to perfect our, our strategy with this, because unfortunately, I don't think Elodia is going to be the last invasive species we have to deal with. No, and, and, and in Alaska, there's a lot of saltwater concerns where I don't think we worry about saltwater invasives as much uh, typically, but I know that fisheries uh, in Alaska, you know, there's a lot of concern even on the saltwater side now. Right. Yeah. And, and so this, this is our opportunity to, to do the right thing, to educate our membership base, to educate the public. Uh, and I think that's, that's probably one of the biggest uh, hurdles that we've got. And we've already talked a little bit about that today, that uh, we are an easy target for the public because it's easy to point blame and just dump it all on us. And that, that, that's not really, um, it's not really what's happening here uh, with, with the spread of some of these things, but you're absolutely right. We have an obligation. We have a responsibility. And if we enjoy the activities that we, that I think we all do uh, with flying on floats, um, we have an obligation to make sure that we help manage um, and, and protect the areas that we come and go from. And here in Alaska, uh, that's even more important because it's not just recreation. Uh, it's it's a, a key cornerstone of our economic uh, vitality here in the state uh, is aviation. And float planes and seaplanes are a very integral part of that that aviation infrastructure. I was going to make sure to re-mention that because I know that we've said it before, you know, we're flying around down here in Florida and it's a lot of recreation. You have a good time, you know, you have seaplane schools, you get to fly year round. But you guys, I mean, it's tourism, it's mail delivery, it's medical transport. You you do so much with seaplanes. They're pretty ingrained in what you guys have to have required i mean you can't even get to the state capitol by by car so right (laughs) right it's either a very long ferry ride or an airplane um and and seaplanes are part of that Uh, a lot of the air taxis in southeast alaska uh, operate uh, beavers and otters and caravans on floats Uh, 180s 185s 206s on floats as well and and so um 
you know, and of course, then there's the, the always famous and, and beloved beaver and otters that are, are still very active and part of day-to-day operations here in the state. And floats are, are a very key component of that. Absolutely. So I'd like some, you know, kind of hard guidelines here. In Alaska, what exactly can pilots do? You know, commercial operators, recreation, what can everyone do who is flying a seaplane in Alaska do to reduce their spread of invasive species? I think the first thing is they need to know what invasive species are. They need to know what it looks like. They need to know where it's been documented that it already is. Uh, They need to to know and understand uh, procedures they can do as soon as they lift off from the water. Cycle your water rudders. Um, Get any hitchhikers off of those those cables and, and the water rudders and dump them back into the lake that you took off from. Or over land just just off of the lake uh, because you don't want to be transporting this stuff uh, into another lake any kind of weeds you don't want to do that some of these weeds um, are very robust and can handle drying out on the float decks uh, and you'd think that they'd be dead and then they rehydrate when when you get into another body of water and now you've you've just spread it Um, so i think education is the biggest part not just education of the pilots and and the operators but educate your passengers Tell them why you're doing this stuff. Uh, that's a huge PR piece. When when you show that you are aware and you're cognizant and you're actually being proactive, that makes the people flying with you feel better about the whole situation. It, it makes them aware that that we are concerned. We're trying to be good stewards. We're trying to be good neighbors. Uh, and it helps with the PR of all this as well. So it's not just the what can we physically do to stop this. It's a big education and PR issue, too. Yeah, you know, it's affecting everyone in Alaska, not just seaplane pilots. So when you look at the effect of the invasive species and some of the tightening regulations that are going on, they're not just singling out seaplanes. I mean, they're literally going and banning the sale of Elodia and other things at pet stores. I know they're looking at even how far is the gravel. You know, some of the meetings you and I have been in where they're looking at how far is gravel being transported and what are they selling at Home Depot or Lowe's as far as plants and the the nurseries. Yeah. So, you know, the, this invasive species issue is a big deal. And when you have such a pristine habitat as you have in Alaska, I mean, it's like the last bastion of, of purity in the United States as far as these open spaces. And, and everything in the Alaska economy, whether it's the fishing, whether it's the tourism, just that we want to do everything we can to protect these ecosystems and because we enjoy them. If, if you, you know, we want to go to them, other people want to go to them um, and they want to go to them because of their beauty and their pristineness. And so you're literally, you know, protecting the very resource that everyone wants to, to go there and enjoy or use yeah. or need, you know, even for the, right. the food chain. <laughs> Yeah. You know, uh, one of the mottos for Alaska is the last frontier. And and that that I think applies here. Um, we have the yeah, we it's been great that and this is going to sound bad and I don't mean it to sound this way, but I'm glad that you guys in the lower 48 have had to deal with this before we did, because now we can take your lessons learned. We can we can learn from the, the hurdles that had been overcome already and not have to waste time figuring that stuff out on our own. And so um, so not only are we at the last frontier when it comes to exploration, to, to seeing the beauty and protecting uh, the wild spaces, um, that also helps us and benefits us that, that this is not a, a new problem in aviation, although it may be a relatively young and new problem for us here in Alaska. 
um, we we are incredibly grateful for the Seaplane Pilots Association and the work that you guys have done so that when we started dealing with this, you were an excellent resource. So um, it's it's great to have this partnership and this relationship. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that, that we're able to work together and and help the state eradicate these invasive species. We just, we want to keep everything clean, right? I mean, we want to continue flying, enjoying our natural habitat. And so to our listeners, I know that we're, we're asking you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association, support what we're trying to do, but we encourage you to join the Alaska Airmen's Association as well. They are trying to protect, you know, like you said, the last frontier and trying to keep it clean and so everyone can enjoy it. Whether you're going there to visit for two weeks or you live there, if you want to keep it clean and you want to keep it a place where people can continue to go and enjoy what is there, we encourage you to join. And we'll make sure we get a link to the Alaska Airmen's website in the show notes here so you can uh, click on that and go visit them because I am, I have to say, a lifetime member of the Alaska Airmen's Association as I sit here in Florida. <laughs> oh, appreciate that. <laughs> because uh, they have been such great partners and I enjoy going there every year and have been there almost every year for the last 20 years and have just had amazing experiences flying in Alaska and, and just love it. So it's important for people to realize we're working with Fish and Wildlife Service uh, uh you guys, Adam in particular, has been a great partner in so many of the meetings that we've attended in Alaska, the presentations that we've given in Alaska. And we're working with Fish and Wildlife Service. We're currently doing a multi-year study on assessing the risk that seaplanes uh, possess. We're working with people like Quagga D that we had on earlier in developing ways for us to do better inspections and better, more effective decontaminations. And we're doing threat analysis and and so many other things in this world. So justifying that membership and having this communication channel between the Alaska Airmen and the Seaplane Pilots Association, that's where you can get the knowledge that you're going to need to know to prevent the spread and that you need to know before you go flying as this becomes a bigger issue. Yeah, exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Adam, it's so wonderful to have you on the show. And uh, I'm sorry I missed you this year at uh, your event uh, in Palmer this year, which I'm sure we'll do some more coverage on next year before the show. And we always look forward to coming up there to the Alaska Airmen's, uh, the great Alaska Aviation, Gather- or Aviation Gathering, uh, yeah. which is one of my favorite shows of the year to go to. So, uh, yeah, well, and with COVID, like it, it's been in, impacting everything, um, this year was a little different, but uh, we were incredibly grateful that we were even able to have an event and looking forward to next year. Absolutely. So are we, and I'll get Abby up there with me and we'll do a podcast live from the perfect. show. Oh, perfect. I'll bring that a jacket. <laughs> yeah, you'll need to. <laughs> Hopefully. Uh, the... Come on. It, it, it's springtime. Uh, you know, we're running around in shorts and t-shirts. So by it's that 40. <laughs> It's still cold. I'm wearing a jacket. <laughs> She's a Florida girl. Looking forward to it. I know that the show was a great success this year, and so I'm looking forward to it next year. Yeah, so Love to have you guys back. So, Adam, thanks again for being on the show. It's always wonderful to have a conversation with you, and uh, it's always, uh, again, uh, wonderful to work with you. So until next time, we'd like to invite you, the listeners, to tune in uh, next week. And until then, clear skies and calm waters. We are so glad you joined us today. 
If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.